Uh, take your Bibles and turn this morning to a whole bunch of places. <laughs> All right. uh, no, have your Bibles handy. Scriptures will be on, on the screen there as well. We're going to primarily look at 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, we are, are in our, our third week of this emphasis that we're calling Life is Better Together. And uh, actually, the last, uh, last couple of weeks, we've learned that there are at least, uh, at least one other church, maybe two other churches in our community that have a similar kind of emphasis using the terms better together. And so what we decided to do is this. Starting today, out in the lobby, you can buy a brand new shirt that says, life is better together here. Okay? So um, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. All right. All right. <laughs> Well, that went over really great, didn't it? Okay. Um, <laughs> let me remind you, what is this emphasis about? What is it about? Uh, it, just as it sounds in so, in so many ways, we, we, it is our deep conviction as a church that life is indeed better together. Uh, it, it's, life as a Christian is more than just showing up on a Sunday morning and sitting in a pew looking at the back of the heads of the people in front of you in the process. Uh, we want everybody to experience what it's like to be in a group uh, where you um, experience tr- what we would call transformational relationships, relationships that uh, God uses at, is at work using in your life to, to help transform your life, to transform one another's lives, where we share together, we struggle together, we pray together, we serve together, we grow together in Christ. And so for all those reasons, that's why we're having this instrument. This is why it is so important. But in addition to those reasons, it's very important for this. Number one, you will be healthier physically. Now, how many of you knew that? You'd be healthier physically if you get in a group. Uh, you don't believe me, do you? <laughs> now, this is true. Okay, I'm not, I promise I'm not making this up. There was a... a um, a study that was reported on in the uh, Journal of the American Medical Association uh, where they took 276 volunteers and injected them with the virus that causes the common cold. And what they learned was that the people that were a part of that study group who were involved in a community of of relationships, in, in a small community of relationships, were able to fend off that cold virus four times better than those who were not. Four times better. Now, what that and another thing they discovered, and this is particularly interesting, is that those people also that were, again, involved in community versus those that were isolated, those who were involved in community had less mucus. True, true story, true story. So what that tells us is simply this. If you are in a small group, you are much less snottier than those who are not. Okay? I I knew you wanted to know that this morning, right? (laughs) Seriously, that's very true. It's very, very true. You will be physically healthier if you are involved in a community, involved in the community with others. Not just physically healthier, and there, there are other studies that, that prove that as well that I won't go into this morning, but not just physically healthier, but spiritually healthier as well. Spiritually healthier. You know, there's a word that's used in the New Testament some 58 different times that is used to exhort believers to be engaged with one another 
so that they might grow together spiritually. I just told you what that word is. Actually, in the Greek, in the original language, it's just one word, but we, to translate it into English, it's two words. It's the two words, one another. Again, some 58 different times. For example, Jesus said, John 13, 34, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. The verses Josh preached about just a couple of weeks ago, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 12, 10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Again, that that term is used so so many, many times in the New Testament. Be of the same mind with one another. Romans 15, 5. Romans 15, 7. Accept one another. Admonish one another. Ephesians 4, forgive one another. Galatians 5, serve one another. Galatians 6, bear one another's burdens. Submit to one another according to Ephesians 5. One another. You are healthy spirit, you're healthier spiritually when you are engaged in a small group with one another. The Bible's so clear about this. In other words, what the Bible's telling us is that you cannot live your life as a Christian without being in community with other believers. You cannot engage over half of God's word unless you are. You know, we use that word fellowship a lot, don't we? Most of the time as Baptists, we, we use fellowship in terms of thinking in terms of, of potluck suppers, right? You remember the, uh, the fourth grade class where the, the teacher said, okay, tomorrow we're going to have show and tell, and I want you to bring a symbol of your religion to class. So little uh, Samuel showed up, he goes to the front of the class, and he says, I'm Jewish, and this is a star of David. Little Mary got up, she said, my name's Mary, she said, I'm Roman Catholic, and this is a crucifix. Little Johnny got up and he said, I'm a Southern Baptist and this is a casserole. <laughs> but what really is fellowship? What is fellowship? Fellowship happens whenever you apply one of these many, many one another Bible verses in relationship with other believers. You can't do that with a group of six or 700, can you? <laughs> That has to be done in the context of relationships, the context of small groups. Life is better together in groups. You know, there, there are a bunch, a bunch of people in churches that, whose lives have never really been changed all that much. And why is that? Because life change does not happen as a result of knowledge alone, does it? It does not. It happens only in the context of being able to take your knowledge of God's Word and apply it in your life when you engage God's Word into action in your life. And that is, again, primarily going to happen in the context of relationships. Are you engaged in relationships in the body of Christ? Romans 12, 4 and 5 says, Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are all parts of his one body, and each of us has different work to do. And since we are all one body in Christ, we belong to each other, and each of us needs all the others. Again, this is is a hugely important dimension of life. As as we are are talking about doing life together, you will never grow spiritually healthy. You will never 
grow spiritually healthy until you are engaged, actively engaged in relationship and sharing your life in group together with one another. Life is better together. You're healthier physically, you're healthier spiritually, but you are also healthier in terms of your whole person. You are emotionally healthier. You are healthier in your psyche, healthier in your soul. I received a phone call from an old friend who lives in another state. And we had not talked in quite a while. And after we engaged in some of those initial niceties in conversation, he started just to pour his heart out to me. In fact, it wasn't long before he began openly weeping over the phone. And what he began to describe is that for the previous 18 months, for some 18 months, he had entered into a, a deep, deep, dark time of depression in his life. It, 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 he was highly successful in, in business, but yet he, he said, I, I feel like I, I just can't do life right now. My whole life is a challenge. I, I can't do business. I can't do family. I can't do marriage. A deep, dark place. And so I, I tried to encourage him. I, I share with him some of my own struggles with depression. I tried to encourage him to get counseling. I told him how valuable for, for me personally it had been over the years as I, had a, 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 as I struggled with depression to be able to have some friends that I could, could talk to about those struggles and who would pray with me about that as well. And I asked him the question. I said, do, do you have anybody, are, are there any, guys, any other guys in, in the church with whom you could share that would listen to you and that would pray with you about this? And what he responded was heartbreaking. He said, Hess, there is not a single person at church with whom I feel that I can share this with. And he was in a church of over 9,000 members. Not a single person. Have you ever felt like that? Where you had some huge personal burden, something personal going on that was really debilitating in your life, messing up your life. Something you desperately needed to share with somebody, but were too afraid to do so. Because you felt that if you shared that, if you made yourself known in that way, that you would be rejected. You, would, you fear that <clears throat> you would not be accepted by them. You would not be loved by them. In other words, you didn't feel safe telling anyone. Did you know that the Apostle Paul had a very debilitating issue in his own life? He writes about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 7, after he talks about how after experiencing some, we don't know exactly what this was about, but some amazing spiritual revelations from the Lord that, um, so that he wouldn't become, uh, he could have had a real problem with spiritual pride, conceit after having such an amazing experience. And he, said, he says in verse 7, he says, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. <clears throat> 
Now, the word that he uses there for thorn is, is more like the image of a stake being driven into his body. In other words, this was something that was terribly painful for him. Now, over you know, the hundreds of years since, this, since Paul wrote this, uh, there have been all kinds of suggestions. I think, it's over some, I think I read somewhere that over 30 different suggestions as to what this could have been. But nobody has any idea. I mean, people have suggested it could have been a, a recurring malarial fever, that it could have been some other kind of painful physical issue, it could have been a problem with his eyes that he seems to allude to in, in, in one of his books, one of his letters. Uh, it, it could have been uh, epilepsy. It, it, could have been, it could have been anything. The, the fact is that no one really knows. Nobody knows because Paul didn't say exactly what it was. But... I, I think from God's perspective that that's on purpose. Because what that allows is that for all of us to be able to relate to what Paul is saying because we all have thorns. Every single one of us has at least one thorn. That is something very painful that we would desperately, just like the Apostle Paul, would desperately like to get rid of. Everybody has one. We don't want to talk about it, it's too painful. It could be something physical, it could be something emotional, it could be something relational, but we all have thorns. Verse 8, Paul says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Desperately pleaded with God. And when he says three times, he's not literally meaning just three times. That was a way of an expression at that time, which meant over and over and over and over and over again, Paul begged the Lord... God, please take this away from take this pain away from me. And for the longest time, heaven was silent. The thorn was not removed. But then God finally spoke to him with these amazing words in verse 9. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect. In weakness. Therefore, Paul writes, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Amazing. God said to Paul, He said, Paul, I have something for you, but it's not the removal of that thorn. It's something even better. Paul has something, but it's not taking away your pain. It's something even stronger. God said, it's grace. It's my grace. My grace is sufficient for you. My grace, regardless of whatever it is that you're going through, whatever it is that you're experiencing, is sufficient for you. Can I get a testimony? <laughs> I'll testify. I'll testify. I have to tell you, in the midst of every significant hurt or pain or defeat in my life, whether it was a debilitating illness back in my college days or, or, or physical issues that have occurred off and on since, struggles with depression, deep relational pain, or ministry defeats, I have hung on to that verse like a drowning man hangs on to a life preserver. <laughs> Friends, Personally, we, we have to cling to that verse. But also as a church, as a church, as the body of Christ, as the family of God. Because the truth in this verse is key 
to the effectiveness of our small groups and the effectiveness of our ministry? How do we make sure that that kind of grace is at the heart of both, of our, of both our lives as well as our life at church, of our groups? Well, first of all, we need to all own our thorns. We need to all own our thorns. Not always an easy thing to do. You know, Tulsa is a, is a place where a lot of folks are pretty good at, at looking like, you know, life is, all, is just all of, of a bowl of cherries, right? All of life is just coming up roses. But I can, I can testify again to you that if, during my ministry, I have never known anybody, anybody, and that goes back before the heart, you know, earth's crust was hardened, right? Uh, I've never known anybody, anybody. I don't care what level of life status and life they had. I've never known anybody who did not have some kind of thorn in their life. We all have thorns. We have to own our thorns. Last week, we focused on the vital importance of being a church that, that is a safe place. See, people are only going to feel free to share their thorns, to own their thorns in a safe place. There's a classic book by John Powell entitled, Why Am I Afraid to Tell You Who I Am? Well, what's the answer to that question? It's because people are afraid that if they'll tell you who they are, kind of going back to what I was saying a few moments ago, that you will not accept them, that you will not love them. Some of you know that for several years now I've been involved in a ministry with pastors called CPR, Celebrate Pastors in Recovery. It began for me about 13 years ago, and by the way, CPR are just simply 12-step studies using Celebrate Recovery curriculum for pastors. About 13 years ago, I found myself going through a very, very dark time in my life. And at, at that point, uh, for the past, the previous few years prior to that, I'd seen all this amazing healing and hope take place in our congregation among so many of our people through that process. And I thought, well, I, I need this too. I need this. And so I invited a group of local pastors into a step study. There were uh, 12 of us that started out, 10 finished. Uh, there were uh, five Methodists, four Baptists, and one charismatic Bible church pastor. So I was like, how many pastors does it take to change a light bulb, right? <laughs> uh, it was really how many pastors does it take to enjoy life change together, which only happens when we begin to open up our lives to one another. Well, we just started a, a new, by the way, and that very first CPR group was a huge, huge blessing for me in my life. Well, this past week, we started a new CPR group here in Tulsa. Had our first meeting last week. And as it so happens, as it so often happens in those groups, one of the pastors laid his concerns on the table in just the very first few minutes. By the way, I asked permission to be able to share this with you this morning. He said, guys, I'm afraid. He said, I'm afraid that if I really let you know who I am, that you won't accept me. You won't even like me. Again, he was telling us, I'm afraid to be full. I'm afraid that if I am fully known, that I will not be fully loved. He needed the security of knowing that as he worked through his thorns, that he would not be rejected. And we all continued to assure him that he was in a safe place. 
And let me say this, if you are new to our church, please know that this church is a safe place. Our groups are a safe place. If you discover otherwise, please let me know, (laughs) and we'll take care of it. Again, how did God respond to Paul's desperation over his thorn? By telling him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. You see, the reason this is a safe place is because we put grace at the heart of our church. And I mean not only our church as a whole, but all of our groups as well. Our groups, again, are a safe place. They are safe places. They are safe places in which you can own your thorns. We have to own our thorns. But also, we have to allow the Lord to use us in those contexts as conduits conduits of his healing grace to one another. That's why our vision statement says we are a safe place of healing grace and hope. Have you ever heard this phrase before? Revealing your feeling is the beginning of healing. You heard that? Revealing your feeling is the beginning of healing. James 5, 16, James writes, Therefore, confess your sins to each other. That is the the word again, one another. Confess your sins to each other, to one another, and pray for each other, one another, so that you may be healed. Now, let me be quick to say, obviously, not all thorns are sinful thorns, right? Again, you you have a debilitating illness that's your thorn. My my friend in our new CPR group, his thorn had nothing to do with, with any sin on his part. Not every thorn is a sin by any means. But the principle here in the book of James still applies in this process. Confess your thorns, sinful or otherwise, to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. See, that's how you own your thorns, when you reveal, confess them to your fellow believers. That's the beginning of healing. Again, we are a safe place of healing grace. And what is healing grace? Healing grace, healing grace is the process by which God's grace is experienced in the context of God's family, the church. For the purpose of bringing healing to your inner person, your thoughts, emotions, your heart, psyche, and soul. Let me repeat that. Healing grace is the process by which God's grace is experienced in the context of his family. For the purpose of bringing healing to your inner person, your thoughts, your emotions, your heart, psyche, and soul. You see, one of the greatest experiences that you can have of God's grace and love is when you are willing to open up your heart, to open up your life to someone else in a safe place, in a safe group. And then they open their lives to you. Again, revealing your feeling is the beginning of healing. And here's what happens when you do that in a group. Now, please don't miss this. If you've been tuned out to now, please tune back in. As you share your thorns and struggles with one another and pray for one another, Together, you become a visible, tangible conduit through whom God's healing grace and love and forgiveness flows into the hearts of everyone that's in that group. Does that make sense? That's exactly what my pastor friend began to experience in that CPR group meeting the other day. 
Again, he became convinced that it was a safe place. And because of that, he was willing to courageously open his life to us and to share his thorn, which was a deep, deep wound that had been there for over 25 years in his life. And you could already begin to see that as God began to use each of us in the group as a conduit of his grace, and, and that pastor friend as well, as a conduit of his grace, you could already begin to sense and feel that the healing had begun. And that was just our very first time, our very first meeting. Friends, that's the kind of Christ-centered, grace-driven, redemptive community that God is calling us to be. That's why life is better together in a group. Are you in a group? Are you in a life group? Are you in some other kind of group in the context of our church family here? I don't know what your thorn is, but I do know this. Jesus knows all about thorns, doesn't he? I mean, he, wore, he wore a crown full of them as he hung on the cross for us. And because he did that, it was on that cross that he took your thorn. On that cross that he took your pain. And because he did that on the cross for us, that's why we can experience the grace of God. Where he takes our weakness and by his power and love and presence, he makes us strong. Let's pray together.